Have we got a show for you? I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast. And if you're listening to it, it makes you one of the friends. It's, uh... <laughs> oh, life, the world, life, the universe, everything. It's all, you know, it's been, it's been really interesting. I, I'm, I'm hoping to be back on a regular schedule with this, but we'll see. I, uh, I'm now moved in and settled into a very cozy little cabin here in Bellingham, Washington, my hometown. Uh, for the first time in my adult life, everything that I own is in one building. So all of my books, all of my accordions, all of my socks, all of the diner forks that I have borrowed without permission over the years, they're all in this little house. And, you know, it's, uh, it's something. It's really something to sort of have it all here. I, uh, yeah, I... <laughs> I don't really know. I, um, I'm going to be mixing things up a bit in the coming weeks. One of the things that has prevented me from making episodes of this over the last couple of months has been my devotion to regular segments. You know, I've often struggled to find the perfect hokey fright item or felt that I didn't really have much to say for one of those here's the thought essays. The solution, it would seem to me at this point, is somewhat counterintuitively for most writers, more blank page, less outline. Since this is my wee podcast that I think it, you know, I it's mine. I can do, there's no rules. It's the internet. So I think it should be okay if I let some of the segments go, at least for a while, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, so some segments will come and go. Uh, I'm hoping to have about guests every other episode. So the next episode will have my, my good friend Sandy from Iran will be a guest. Uh, so look forward to that. But today I just sort of wanted to have a, a nice kind of relaxed time by myself and just hang out because we haven't done that in a while and I've missed you all uh, as much as this is sort of a monologue, as Paul F. Tompkins would call it. I, uh, I do really feel that this is a form of communication. This is something where it's me sharing myself and it does elicit reactions from all of you. I, I get letters and, and mail and things. I've got an amazing uh, thing for mailbag today. Well, I, th I think it's amazing. It's very large. So uh, that's coming up. But uh, yeah, let's. Let, there might be more rambling from me later, but let's get into it with our first segment, which is a new segment. Do these even go together? This past week, I've read five books. Some of them were short, a couple were audiobooks, and one was a graphic novel. Now, before any of you get your purist hats on, they all count. Why? Because I say they do. Who made you the book police? I, this isn't in my script, but this is just like my favorite thing that I've recently learned. Um, you know how people like who are like really, really apt to like climb up other people's like booties about you know their punctuation or their spelling or whatever like we call them grammar nazis and like that's a little bit of an uncomfortable thing to say especially like in a some somewhat jocular tone because like there are actual nazis like out there still i hate those guys um but like 
I, I've heard that in Finland, the thing that people say is comma fucker. And that's just so much better. I mean, let's be honest. Comma fucker? It's like, God, if you love grammar so much, why do you go have sex with it? It's so good. Anyway, uh, where was I? Who made you the book police? I personally used the reporting system that worked to earn me a free pizza when I was eight. That summer, the Bellingham Public Library, in its single positive contribution to my childhood, the librarians there were horrible people who hated children and regularly sent them to collections, which led to them being threatened with arrest, but that's a story for another day. The Bellingham Public Library did a pizza program. It worked like this. If you read a certain amount of books in a certain amount of time, you got a free pizza. Sure, it was a personal child-sized pizza, but it was still a whole pizza. A whole freaking pizza. Anyway, the goal was something like eight books or a book a week during the months of June and July. There was a punch card that your parents filled out and then they presented it at the library and exchanged it for a certificate. And then you gave that to Pizza Hut or Time or whatever and you got a free pizza. If that seems convoluted, remember this was before we had apps that gamified weight loss and language learning. This was back when deals required paperwork. But seriously, if Honey.com wants to sponsor this podcast, I'd say no. It's listener supported. Sorry, no fancy corporate sponsors. I mean, like, it's nice that John Green gets fucking audible to support his very first episode, but whatever. I've made like 40 of these and my fans take care of me just fine. So we're good. I, I really did miss you folks. So you read the books, you fill out the card, you turn it in, you get the coupon, you eat the pizza. Everybody wins. What books counted? Whatever my mom and I decided counted. One of them was Shadows of the Empire. Go Star Wars! That's right. My obsessive fandom of Star Wars literally got me free pizza one time. So shove the judgment. What I'm getting at is this. If it walks like a book, reads like a book, and connects with you like a book, then it's a book. Oh, and audiobooks? What? Blind people don't get to enjoy literature? Give me a break. Books? No matter how they are delivered, either by your eyeballs, someone else reading it to you, or it downloaded into your brain pan via the all-mother cortex, that's a Google product, right? I think it's still a book. When they come out with Star Trek Voyager-style hollow novels, I'll weigh in on this again, but as far as I'm concerned, they're all books. They all require some effort on my part to meet the author in the spaces in between us. So yeah, I read five books last week. And two of them struck me as such a funny back-to-back pairing that I dreamed up this new segment, which is called, Do These Even Go Together? So yeah, the two books were Dakota, A Spiritual Geography by Kathleen Norris, and The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. I'm sure many of you are wondering what on earth a meditation on spirituality as it relates to location and isolation has in common with a potty mouth self-improvement tome by a reformed pickup artist. In some ways, I'm still wondering that myself, but there is, in fact, a remarkable correlation between the two authors and what both are proposing for the pursuit of a fulfilled life. Early on in the subtle art of not giving a fuck, Manson reveals his main thesis. We all have a finite amount of fucks to give in life, If you give most things less fucks, you'll have more fucks to give to the things that you really give a fuck about. He really likes the word fuck. We all know this intuitively. In fact, I'd wager most of us... (laughs) I just dropped my ukulele, but I'm leaving it in there. Because apparently that is now a thing I don't give a fudge about. 
We all know this intuitively. In fact, I'd wager most of us could have written the subtle art of not giving a fuck, although I doubt many of you would have been so prurient in the execution of such a premise. But I still find it interesting that young Master Manson has arrived at this conclusion, since it is so remarkably like that of Norris in Dakota. Norris charts her own journey from an orbiting member of the outer edge of the Andy Warhol New York City art scene in the 1970s to being a Benedictine oblate, a kind of layperson pal of monks in northwestern South Dakota in the 1990s. The journey is one away from the overstimulation of New York and indeed the world in general toward one of quiet contemplation in an empty place most people would just blast through, the flyover country, as it were. She has found more freedom in the choice to fill her life with less things, less people, less excitement. Norris remarks that while she used to attend four or five poetry readings a week, something which felt like a chore, she now treats a single one a month as something to celebrate, and perhaps even drive several hundred miles round trip to attend. Having spent much of the past decade touring, I can confirm this experience from the other side of the footlights. The best shows I've ever had took place in small, out-of-the-way places where the audience invested effort to see me and appreciate me taking the time to stop with them for a while. Sorry, Portland, Seattle, London. Y'all ain't got nothing on Twisp, Hull, or Fresno. What is most striking when comparing these two books is the path both authors seem to have taken to arrive at a shockingly similar conclusion. Norris has connected deeply with the Lutheran faith of her family, while Manson has embraced a vast and seemingly endless supply of nihilism, which counterintuitively seems to fill him with hope. Small wonder that his follow-up book is called Everything is Fucked, a book about hope. In biology, there's a concept called convergent evolution, wherein similar structures evolve multiple times across species and even whole kingdoms of life if they're both good ideas. Think of the basic shape of a tree, and a mushroom, for example. Having a stem with roots and a canopy seems like a pretty good overall body shape for a thing which lives on and in the dirt. Or another example being the ability to see color, which is pretty helpful if you're an animal moving around looking for food. Small wonder that color vision has been evolved at least half a dozen separate times. Long hair seems to really jerk the chain of your parents, unless they have long hair, in which case it's short hair. But the, the, the point is, multiple generations throughout history have discovered that having hair different from their parents pisses off their parents. And they all think that they invented it. I know these are oversimplifications, but I think you get the point. When multiple people come at a problem, in this case the overwhelming nature of modern life, from such wildly different directions, and yet somehow arrive at the same solution, it's worth taking notice of. I'm not sure I can wholeheartedly recommend either book in isolation, but taken together, Dakota, A Spiritual Geography, and The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck are a pairing I'm not sure I'd want to live without. Okay, Fright, have you heard about Attack on Titan? Now we're talking. When I first started dreaming up ideas for this podcast over a year ago, really? That long? This anime was on my list of things to talk about. Now that I've had some quarantine to catch up on my stories, I feel like this is an excellent time to talk about it. More than any piece of art I've ever talked about on this podcast, this show is something that makes me say, hokey fright. The setup is pretty simple. 
A hundred years ago, humanity retreated behind a series of 500 foot tall walls hundreds of miles across. The reason? Outside the walls lurked monsters called titans. Giant, honest-to-goodness, fee-fi-fo-fumming humanoids that ate... people. As the show begins, the century of peace is shattered when several titans, far bigger and badasser than any ever before seen, arrive and break through the walls, leading to a gory massacre as countless civilians are devoured by the rampaging monstrosities. The only hope for humanity is a regiment of soldiers known as scouts who use a combination of grappling hook and jetpack systems to attack the titans using swords. Yep, swords. It's totally anime. But the best part about all this is, the show takes it deadly seriously. When a character witnesses a close friend being eaten, the resulting emotional fallout or PTSD may last for multiple episodes, if not seasons. Characters die, alarmingly often. Not in the haphazard and seemingly self-indulgent way that a George R would do it, but rather as a simple consequence that these people are putting their lives on the line to defend the last remaining survivors huddled behind the wall. These deaths hurt because we are not allowed to feel their passing. Their shades remain a presence in the minds of their friends, not just as a stimulant for revenge, but as a simple absence in the heart. While this show delivers all the zoom and swing nonsense you'd expect from any anime with such a bananas pre premise, the deep and abiding honesty of the character portrayals is what keeps me coming back episode after episode. It's a shockingly hopeful piece of media for one with such a dark setting. This is the kind of story that understands that sometimes it's less about stirring words or big actions. Sometimes it's all about the little things the people who care about us do. The simple action of sharing a piece of candy can be everything in a story of a world seemingly beyond hope. I'm, uh, I'm going off script again here because I realize the reason that that concept means so much to me is because of something that happened to me. Um, and it's not really something I'm totally ready to talk about fully, but I guess I I'm I just I I think I can just say like about seven years ago I lost someone I was very close to who meant a lot to me, and because of who I am and that because I am strangely I ended up being a focal point for a lot of community grief around this loss you know there were a lot of gatherings and shows and memorials and things and I didn't really get a chance to feel my own feelings because I had to MC memorial shows and things like that and as a result of that nobody really gave me the space to process what I was going through and I spent a lot of time in my sailboat that I lived in at the time, very drunk. And there was a day where I ran out of booze. It was about 11 a.m. I was out of booze and I was coming down from my buzz and I, I, I didn't want to not be drunk. So I went to a very good friend's house and knocked on the door and my friend wasn't there, but my friend's girlfriend was there. And she took one look at me and knew everything. That I was drunk, that I wanted to keep being drunk, that that was why I had stumbled up to the house. And she 
was not someone who liked me very much. I don't think she ever really cared for me. It was kind of one of those things. It's like, well, you are one of my partner's best friends, so I will put up with you. But she looked at me. She she saw the the look on my face and and the need, and she just held the door. She didn't say anything. She held the door open, and she led me into the living room and she pointed at the couch, and I sat down on the couch, and she went in the kitchen and she poured a large glass of whiskey put an ice cube in it, brought it back, shoved it in my hand, slapped my shoulder once, and then went back to her office and kept working. And I still get really emotional thinking about that moment because that was someone who realized that my need was a very small one and a very tiny and easily satisfied one in that moment. I think so often we we fixate on trying to fix a big need, trying to have the big, deep conversation, when in reality, the thing that really helps people the most is sometimes the smallest thing. And the reason that Attack on Titan means so much to me is there's a moment in season three where some characters are like, I don't think I can keep going. I can't do this. And a friend of theirs says, eat this, eat this piece of bread. And they're like, no, I, I'm not hungry. And he's like, as long as you eat this piece of bread, you can make that decision about whether or not to keep going tomorrow. You don't have to make the decision today. And I think that that is why the show is so impactful to me, because that is the same thing that my friend's ex-girlfriend did for me. She looked at me and was just like, I'm not gonna make you do or decide or perform or anything today. I'm just gonna let you be. And sometimes when we're having a hard time, that is the most important thing we can be given is just a chance to exist and be able to decide tomorrow. Anyway, I went way off my script there, but I hope that's okay. This is the kind of thing that can happen when I'm alone in my house. Uh, you all got to hear that a little bit. So thanks for rolling with me through that. Um, where am I on my script? Ah, it could be the current state of the wider world around me that has made me fall so deeply in love with this bonkers anime over the last few years. But honestly, I think my brain has always been like this. Human existence has always been and will always continue to be a very difficult proposition. I think that's what makes the moments of victory and success in Attack on Titan so sweet and delightful. You really feel the characters have earned their progress, not only on the battlefield, but in their relationships with one another. I'm not saying it's good, but at least now you've heard about it. So uh, this next segment is another new one. I'm calling it... I thought of my friends and the troubles they've had to keep me from thinking of mine. One of my principal goals with this podcast has been to create a space that is, to a certain extent, outside of the day-to-day -day happenings of the world, to not talk about current events. Last night I had dinner with a friend, and one of the things we ended up talking about was the weird experience of having people lecture us about the ways we were or weren't using our platform to affect social change. She said something that really resonated with me. It was something along the lines of, my statement is my life. I find that very compelling. 
I think it's because I grew up in conservative Christian circles. Let me explain. See, in that community, a good deal of time and energy is devoted to conversations surrounding how to best convince other people of the things you yourself believe to be true. The discussions basically broke down into two camps, though I will acknowledge that all human experience is a spectrum and therefore to say that there are only two options for anything is specious if not outright malicious, but I'm digressing. The two schools of thought were roughly one. You should make every conversation you have ever had revolve around faith. Or two, just live a good life based upon your principles of faith. When people ask you why, then bring up your faith. We've all encountered the former type of Christian. This is the person who sits next to you on a plane or some other very, very captive situation and then asks, are you saved? As a kind of reflexive greeting. These people have always rubbed me the wrong way, even back when I identified as a Christian. My knee-jerk reaction to such a question was to respond, no, I have gay sex with Satan while getting tattooed and voting Democrat. You know, evil stuff. Or whatever. Anyway, the point is, I genuinely think that the better way to convince anyone of anything is to live your life as though that thing were important and let your actions speak for you. It's one thing to announce that you're going to seek gender parity in the performers you book for your birthday show. It's another to just do it and let that moment exist. The most powerful argument for this I've ever experienced was a show I attended in Edinburgh at the Fringe Festival a few years back. It was advertised as a comedy show. A friend of mine performed in it, so I went. It was great. Extremely great, in fact. I was in physical pain from the amount of laughing I did that night. We're talking first time I saw Monty Python and the Holy Grail levels of sheer, unadulterated mirth. At the very end of the show, the producer came out and, like most fringe shows, thanked the audience for attending, asked them to donate a little more on their way out, and then mentioned offhand that the entire lineup had been female. She had sought to put together a strong lineup of comedians, and because she was a female producer, had ended up booking mostly her friends, and the entire lineup was female. But she was still pleased with the result. Thing is, the fact wasn't included in any of the promotional materials. It just was. This isn't a dig at anyone who is seeking to change the ways in which they present, promote, or produce. Rather, it's a statement of my desire to seek out things which produce good work for its own sake. Work which reflects the values of the artist making it. There's a concept in the Bible that I still find very compelling. In Matthew chapter 6, Christians are exhorted, When you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites that love to stand and pray in the synagogues and corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, you shall pray in your room, having shut the door, pray in secret. That idea that you, you, you do good things in secret, it's, it's repeated in that chapter. The same admonition is applied to giving to charities and doing good works. The principle pretty much means do good things for their own sake, not because you're going to get a cookie. Whenever I hear someone complaining that they aren't one of the bad ones, it always annoys me. Obviously, you're one of the good men, feminists, vegans, whatever. You wouldn't be at my birthday party if you weren't, David. Why are you so sensitive, David? Jeez, David, it's not like we've talked... <clears throat> Apologies to all the Davids out there. I don't mean for you to feel personally attacked. Do I even know anyone named David? I accidentally called my friend Adam David on a Zoom meeting this morning. I've got Davidian syndrome. Help! Somebody call the Branch Davidians! I need David-related help. Where was I? Yes. 
do nice things because they're kind and nice, not because people will see or acknowledge that you've done them. Now, I acknowledge that I'm saying all of this from what many would argue is a place of extreme privilege. So, yeah, I'll own that. I'm also hanging a lampshade on my privilege because it has to do with this new segment that I'm stumbling around trying to introduce as part of it. You know, see, I created this podcast to be outside of current events, not to pretend they aren't happening or to disengage with them, but precisely because my world's on fire. How about yours? I wanted to create a safe space where we could be fans again or we could be friends again. It's right there in the name of this podcast, Strangely and Friends. So yeah, I'm not using my platform to comment on race or gender or the wage gap or climate change directly. But honestly, those things are super important. Go learn about them if you haven't. I am, however, trying to use this podcast to create a space that might bring to your attention writers, art, or concepts that could give you a fighting chance out there in the world. As I'm so fond of quoting, but I'm still not entirely sure who I'm quoting, fantasy stories don't just tell us that there are dragons. They tell us dragons can be beaten. Or something like that. Honestly, I'm avoiding Google altogether right now. It's scary enough there outside my door. So what is this segment? Well, it's going to be my attempt to angrily rant about something that pisses me off, which has nothing to do with the wider world. The hope is that we can laugh if we can laugh and share about some of the little annoyances, perhaps it will make it easier to talk about the big ones. After all, we all know what it's like to stub our toes or to get lemon juice in a paper cut. Or is that just me? But those experiences give us a shared language of pain to discuss the greater pains in our lives, like car accidents or Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. So acknowledging that this is deeply small potatoes Let's start this new segment with the delightful words of Warren Zavon. I thought of my friends and the troubles they've had To keep me from thinking of mine I really need to get something off my chest. Video game cutscenes annoy the bejeebers out of me. One of the, my more recent activities has been the acquisition of a truly useless hobby. I have a tendency to turn any small, silent, private activity, music, magic, big, boring history books, TV shows, whatever, into some facet of my public performative life, which in turn moves that thing from my purely personal experience into my public one and thus becomes an aspect of work. <laughs> thus, I'm always on the lookout for something to do to actually relax, which has led me to getting my hands on a used PlayStation 4 and playing some in-depth video games for the first time in about 15 years. Wow, did they ever get better? Like seriously, this is some amazing stuff. Lately I've been playing this game called Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, I think they're running out of coherent titles, whatever. And it's pretty awesome. Like you play as this woman named Aloy who uses a bow and arrow to fight robots. It's super fun, even if the words, in the words of Hawkeye, none of this makes any sense. It's been really fun to explore this world, which is matriarchal and post-apocalyptic and just awesome. I don't really know how the story plays out, so I can't comment on its wider themes yet, but I'm having a good time. However, I can firmly comment on something that pisses me off. Simply put, my character is more powerful in the cutscenes than she is in regular gameplay. Like many games over the past few decades, at least the ones I remember from back in secondary school, the interactivity occasionally pauses and you get to watch a miniature film or cutscene in which your character experiences some of the plot of the game. 
For, for instance, the epic badass death of a father figure or the awkward first kiss or whatever. Both are kind of things that might be better portrayed in a scripted pre-rendered fashion. I don't really want to play a mini game where I have to use my video game controller to line up my mouth with another person's mouth. I mean, I can barely even do that well in real life. Like my first kiss, I was a lot shorter than her and she ended up sticking her tongue up my nose, but that's a story for another time. Often these pre-planned sequences will contradict the game as I've been playing it or even been allowed to play it. They'll show my character leaping 60 feet off a cliff while brandishing her spear and landing on an enemy's back or something, a, a move I'm not allowed to do in the game. Like, what the hell? Like, why do games do this? Don't show me my character taking down a giant scrapper bot with a single well-placed arrow and then not let me do the same when I'm actually in control. If I wanted to watch a movie about badass ladies, I'd watch the uh, shit. We really need more of those, like always more of those. The rhythm section, that's a really awesome one. That lady is awesome. And pretty much anything with Emily Blunt. Like, I wanna make some kind of joke here based on the pun of her last name being Blunt, but honestly, I'd rather get high on her supply than pot, so it doesn't work. Anyways, I just wanna be able to do the cool stuff you show my character doing, or maybe have a cutscene that play out like she acts like I've been playing, you know, timidly hiding at the top of a cliff a hundred yards away and shooting 200 arrows at a giant robot to very slowly take it out. Maybe it's just me, but if you want to empower people to do cool things, whether they be video game characters or minorities or 75 year old British widowers baking a cake for the first time, maybe actually empower them. If you want more badass lady characters in your films and books and things, maybe do what you can to empower more badass lady people in real life or whatever. Sorry, I know I'm getting a little off track, but I think you see what I'm saying. It's annoying when someone else shows you how awesome you could be, if only they would let you. Anyway, I have to go collect six more rabbit bones so I can upgrade my quiver to hold eight more fire arrows, which are super useful against giant corrupted robot dragons. Thank Heaven for distraction. Song of the week. This is uh, one of my older songs actually, but uh, I've been playing it a lot during live streams during quarantine and uh, I just, I really like it. Um, I really like one of my songs. Uh, but I, I don't know, it just kind of feels like the right song for this moment that I'm finding myself in. Uh, so this is called New Beginner. We risk our fragile hopes on a million shining stars Hoping at least one of them will lead us where we need to go Every night I feel you sleeping just beyond the scheme Though we're at opposite ends of this tattered tin can phone You know, we'll never be simple <laughs> You and I I'm reminded of the thousand tiny ways You've changed me when I look into your eyes I can see that this whole world it's just as grand as it seems And I'm the lucky 
Golden Ticket Kid Who gets to live out all of my dreams I'll only miss you if you let me So come sing your songs and visit me in my dreams You you make me want to tear this whole world apart To build ourselves a new one Or maybe just peek behind the scenes We'll never be simple You and I, I'm reminded of a thousand tiny ways you've changed me when I look into your eyes I can see that this whole world is just as grand as it seems and I'm the lucky golden ticket kid who gets to live out all of my dreams if you're ever having a really bad day Come over to my house I won't even talk even just to say it's okay I'll just look you right in the eye Point to a chair and say sit right down Then I'll give you a glass of whiskey And I'll piss off to walk around town <laughs> We'll never be simple You and I I'm reminded of A thousand tiny ways You've changed me when I look into your eyes I can see that this whole world Is just as grand as it seems and we're the lucky golden ticket kids who get to live out all of our dreams. Who get to live out all of our dreams. Mailbag. So, I am super, super excited about this. Uh, my friend Marisha uh, has been away at uh, circus school in, in Brattleboro, Vermont, wherever the circus, there's some circus school on the East Coast, but I, I should know where it is. My friend has been there for years, but whatever. Uh, I can't afford it. So, anyway, but it's probably great. I've heard it's great. Uh, Marisha had a great time. Anyway, Marisha... It's like, I'm moving out of there. I'm getting rid of all this stuff. I don't know what to do with it. I'm having a garage sale. There's so much crap. And I was like, fill one of those flat rate postal boxes with crap and send it to me. And then I will open it on recording on my podcast. And and then you can have like a recording of my reaction. I'll like talk about it or whatever. So anyway, I have the box. And because I haven't been making podcasts for the last like month, I haven't been able to open it. So I've had this package in my house and I'm like, can't wait to open it. I'm practically my friend, Jonica. I'm not opening packages. But anyway... Uh, I've got my big my big knife and I'm gonna open it. And I, I I have no idea what's in here. I mean, it could just be full of like dirty socks. 
I mean, that's probably what I deserve for the, how long it's taken me to open this. Like, I think all packages just turn into dirty socks um, if you don't open them soon enough, Jonica. So, you know, it's just kind of a thing. Uh, okay. Yep. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What's in here? What's... What? Ooh, there's stuff in here. And I'll, I'll post photos of all this on the Instagram or whatever. <clears throat> Dear Strangely, this box of oddments in weirdness has evolved somewhat since you requested a box of third pile. For, so Marisha had three piles. So it was like, there's like the pile that definitely needs to keep, the pile that definitely needs to go away, and then third pile. Somewhat from a box of third pile from my moving cross country yard sale in Vermont. So it was Vermont. Ha! I kept finding more and more weird stuff as I packed and I kept slinging it in. You're welcome. How, here's, here's your riddle. One of the items in this box was reserved by a super rude, annoying woman at my yard sale. I should know better than to ever offer savesies. And yet, when she came back for it, I hid it. <laughs> so I can send it to you instead. Can you guess what it is? Marisha. Well, Marisha. All right. And those of you listening to this, oh boy, what do we have in here? And if you're listening to this at home, um, there's there's photos. Okay. Um, let's see. There's uh, uh some little tiny ceramic uh, people uh in here. Um, well, I'm gonna have to make some room on my desk. I've got crap all over my desk. I've got an empty ice cube tray. For no reason. Well, that's not true. I was I was doing a, a Skype with my friend in Finland, and he was drinking, so I was drinking. But there's some little porcelain uh, people. Uh, one of them is broken. Oh dear. Um, but they have like little penises. They're like little naked, little naked porcelain penis people. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. I don't worry. Oh wow. And there is a hat. Uh, a a nice uh, very nice hat with a tree on it yes um, ooh there's an Instax Mini 9 camera I've always wanted an instant camera like since I was a kid that is that is super exciting this is I will be taking many Instax photos my my niece is also super into those there is a La Couleur's color craze nail polish. It looks like a very, like a kind of a deep red. I can't see colors, don't judge me. Um, oh, there's an, oh, it's a, there's a little, um, um, like a Buddha, but like the, the Buddha that come in the box of tea. <laughs> there's, oh, some more film for the Instax. That's very exciting. It's, there's film. Um, there is a, what is this? There is a beautiful, Skirt. I wonder if this is what the woman reserved because screw her, it will look way better on me. That's beautiful. It's like sort of a black, um, it, it has ohm symbols on it and stuff, but it's very, <gasps> oh shit. Oh shit. We've just lost cabin pressure. This is a skirt. It's a skirt. Folks, you might want to, are you sitting down in podcast land? This skirt has pockets. If you don't want to know why that's exciting, I'm sorry. Ask literally any woman. Skirt. Yes, there are some... Uh, <laughs> there are some, like, famous clown trading cards. Like, Shriner clown trading cards. 
<laughs> I'm not even gonna try to describe these. I will post photos. Uh, there are some other, there are some circus themed playing cards. These are delightful. High rail worked for the, oh, there's another, wow, that's a clown. That's a sad clown named High Rail. Oh my goodness. And uh, some art prints. Let's see. Oh, it's a, an art print of someone looking through a telescope and an art print of a beach. It looks like Norway. More Norway. More Norway. I mean, honestly, it could be anywhere. I don't know why the first one, the first one might be Norway. It is Huga's AF, but uh, anyway. That's it for the mailbag. Obviously, it created some delight in me. I hope my reactions create delight in all of you. Uh, if you have something weird that you want to get rid of, or you have extra skirts with pockets that you think would fit me, you can send that stuff via the physical mail to Strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, 98225. Like, send me weird stuff, and I'll open it on mic, and you can hear my reactions. I really hope the skirt is what that woman reserved because F her, it looks way better on me. That about does it for this week's episode of Strangely and Friends the Podcast. Strangely and Friends the Podcast is produced in a secret undisclosed location by me, Strangely Duesper. This podcast is made possible by my incredible supporters on Patreon. I would especially like to thank my executive producer patrons Kim Truitt and Tina Jones. Tina Jones also uh, has sent me whiskey in the mail before. So, you know, you don't have to send me uh, funny stuff. You can also just send me booze. And if you send me a bottle of booze, I will add you to the executive producer patrons uh, for at least a couple episodes. Uh, I need booze. We all need booze. But like, if you have extra booze, just send it to me. Uh, I'll send you a jar of jam or something. Uh... Check out patreon.com slash strangely to find out how you can help me make more of whatever this is. And, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production. I thought instead of telling a joke this week, I would read you my favorite poem. This is by Ogden Nash. And it's a poem about the beauties of staying home home 99 44 one hundredths percent sweet home most of the time oh most of the time i like to sit at home with a good fire and a good chair and a good detective tome what can a man can a family man ask in the way of cheer more than a pipe and a reading lamp and a modest mug of beer most of the time the wealth of the indies wouldn't tempt me to blowouts or shindies. But once in a while, oh, once in a while, it's pleasant to paint the town, to frolic and revel a regular devil and do the evening brown, to buy an orchid, or maybe two, and woo the way that you used to woo, to press the loot from the baby's banks on waiters who failed to murmur thanks, to dine and wine and dance and sup and ride in a cab till the sun comes up, and to feel thereafter in sundry ways simply awful for days and days. Home is heaven, and orgies are vile, but I like an orgy once in a while. Home is the place, oh, home is the place that no place else is like, so who would freeze in the south like bird or discover peaks like pike? Who so animal, who so low as to pant for the great white way? Who would give up a night at home for one in a cabaret? Most of the time, I'd swim to Australia 
as soon as engage in a Saturnalia. But once in a while, oh, once in a while, it's pleasant to loop the loop, to daringly seize the flying trapeze with a cry of alley-oop, to jump the rails, kick over the traces, to go on the town and visit places, sit ten at a table meant for two, and choke on smoke as you used to do, to tread the floor with the dancing bears, they on your feet and you on theirs, to have flings at things that philosophers true shun and undermine your constitution. Home is heaven. And orgies are vile, but you need an orgy once in a while. <laughs> I'll see you folks next week.